listeners, the wait is over. It's time for another episode of Nashville Anthems, dissecting 80s and 90s country music. I'm eternally your host, Melton McManerberry, and playing us into this perfect little neo-traditional honky-tonk was Allison Tugger Jr. Our mission on Nashville Anthems is to get to the bottom of exactly what it is that makes 80s and 90s country music particularly work. Through close examination of the songs played on satellite radios, 80s and 90s country station, one at a time. Today is a monster, folks. As I've said before, sometimes we get some ho-hum songs, if I'm honest, and often some fine little also-rans, and often enough some real standouts, but every now and then we get a definitive all-time classic. And well, today is one of those times. At last, we are getting to some classic Clint Black, and in particular, his 1989 hit, Killin' Time. So, if you haven't already, why don't you pause me now and give Killin' Time a few close listens. I should go ahead and listen to the whole album while you're at it, you know? Why not? That's pretty much never a bad idea. We are in extreme classic territory here, folks, and it's going to be awesome. But before we get too far into it, Let's take the time to give credit where credit is due, courtesy of your friend and mine, Wikipedia, and Melton McManerberry's personal experience from back in the day. Clint Black and frequent collaborator Hayden Nicholson wrote Killin' Time in 1989, and it became the title track of Black's aforementioned classic debut album. Killin' Time made it to number one on the Billboard Country Charts, as did all of the first four singles from that album, so we're in brand new man and no fences territory here in chart performance, and in spirit, because Killin' Time predated both of those and was really a game-changer of an album in country music. We'll get into some of that, but Killin' Time kind of ran through 1989 and in a way consummated what George Strait and Randy Travis, whom we still haven't gotten to on this podcast, by the way, had inaugurated a few years prior. Killin' Time, the album, was a massive hit, but like I said, it was more than that. The very sound of Killin' Time signaled a new era in country music. It's really not an overstatement to say that. Killin' Time was country music's Nevermind or something, the beginning of its Little Mermaid renaissance, and it pushed not just Clint Black, but really neo-traditionalism as a whole to the front of the stage at the little honky-tonk that was country music of the 1980s and 1990s. As such, Clint Black became part of, in fact, arguably, He was initially the leader of the famed Class of 1989 in country music with fellow new artists Travis Tritt, Garth Brooks, and Alan Jackson. So at that point, with Strait and Travis, and of course female voices like Patti Loveless and Reba McIntyre, the guard had clearly changed, and neo-traditionalism had indisputably arrived as the dominant sound of country music. And I mean, That's what you hear when you listen to this album, and to the title track that we're tackling on this episode in particular. So, let's keep going, because we can say more about the chart performance of Killin' Time, both the single and the album. I mentioned that the first four singles of Killin' Time all went to number one, and they were, in order, are you ready for this? If these aren't some Nashville anthems, I don't know what are. A Better Man, Killin' Time, Nobody's Home, that's my favorite Clint Black song, by the way, and Walking Away. I'm just going to say those again. The first four singles off of Clint Black's debut album were the number ones, A Better Man. I know I'm leaving here, a better man. Killing Time. This killing time. 
Nobody's Home. And walking away. And I won't be walking away. And oh yeah, the fifth and final single was an underrated one in my opinion. The number three hit, Nothing's News. And not only all that, but the album as a whole was ranked number one for all of 1990 by Billboard. And Billboard also ranked the singles A Better Man and Nobody's Home as the number one singles for, respectively, all of 1989 and all of 1990. And then single Killin' Time, how did it fare on those year-end countdowns? Well, it clocked in at number two for all of 1989, right behind A Better Man. Not bad, eh? So Clint Black, clearly king of the road in 1989 and 1990. You know, we think back to that era, maybe think about Garth Brooks, and rightfully so, uh, other class of 1989 alums like Travis Tritt and like Alan Jackson, of course. But there was a moment there where it was really Clint Black who was the vanguard of this new sound. All right, well, finally, let's mention the producing credits. Killing Time, both the song and the album, were produced by James Stroud and Mark Wright. So that's a lot of background. Y'all ready to get into the song itself? I mean, after all, that's what we do here, right? Well, let me make a confession. Now, remember, our MO on Nashville Anthems is to approach the question of why 80s and 90s country music works so particularly well inductively by answering that question for a hopefully manageable one song at a time. And if you've listened to Nashville Anthems for a while, you know that I've had writer's block on this podcast before. Well, a song or two that, frankly, just weren't my cup of tea, and I just found it hard to name the things that worked about those songs that I didn't necessarily think worked all that well. And, and Clint Black was actually one of those, if you remember the Summer's Coming episode. Well, like with some of those songs and some of those episodes, I actually sat on Killing Time for weeks, actually almost a full month, before putting this episode together, because... I again found myself struggling to name off exactly what it is that works about this song. Not, of course, because I think nothing works about Killing Time, but because I think everything works about Killing Time. This is basically a perfect late 80s, early 90s, neo-traditional country song. What's not to love about Killing Time if you like 80s and 90s country music at all? This podcaster's humble opinion, the song Killin' Time, along with really every single from the album Killin' Time, for that matter, is where it all comes together. I mean, basically, as I've already said, this is what the neo-traditional boom of 1989 was all about. And for me, it's even more than that. This is the soundtrack of 1989-1990. This is what I hear in my head when I think about the music of this era. Ladies and gentlemen, Killin' Time is a fantastic song. And struggle though it may be for me to say exactly why, I'm going to give my best shot to doing justice to the greatness of this song right now. So, without further ado, let's get into it. And I may not know exactly where to go with the breakdown of this song, but I know where to start. The same place the song does, with what I'm calling the Telecaster Lick Heard Round the World. Listen to that one one more time. So much going on there. Let's start with the timbre. Hear how twangy that guitar sounds? It's quite far from a pure tone, you know what I mean? It's kind of nasty, kind of dirty, kind of 
earthy and super bendy, low in the pitch register of the instrument, sometimes within, but other times well below the male vocal range. And so many harmonics flying around in that sound, it's almost hard to tell what the fundamental pitches even are. Actually, I'll just say, in my experience, it was really hard to tell what the fundamental pitches of that lick were. I listened to it over and over and over, and I eventually picked up on the notes that are at the upper end of the scale, in the middle of that lick, right? You know how the whole lick is this fairly quick run up the ladder, then kind of a bumpy ride back down? Well, those really low pitches at the beginning and the end, I mean, they are so muddy, so fuzzy, so full of character and harmonics that I was only able to pin them down by catching a YouTube video of a performance where the bass player played along at one point and I got a clear view of his left hand. So the lick is super attention-grabbing just from its committedly twangy sound. It sets a bluesy, honky-tonk table that the rest of the song feasts off of, quite unapologetically, I might add. There is authority in this lick and in this style that signals nothing less than the coronation of a new, old, kind of country music royalty. You were the first thing that I thought of when I thought I drank you off my mind. But it doesn't stop there. Notice the sound when the other instruments join at the top of that initial run. Listen especially for the steel guitar. All right, one other shot at that. Steel guitar plays long, crying slides down, but you don't have to listen for them. They're fairly back in the mix, but they're super important to the overall honky-tonk sound. Now we should acknowledge the drums too, because this is key. We've explored this some in regards to fellow Class of 1989 alum Garth Brooks, how he melded traditional honky-tonk with 80s arena rock, especially in the drums. And there's actually an element of that here as well. Once the groove gets going in the verse, it settles back into something maybe closer to the easy, light kind of drums you might expect from neo-traditional country. But notice how hard the drums hit in the intro. While the steel guitar is doing those throwback slides, the drum hits pretty dang hard with some in-your-face cymbal crashes, while the bass drum and the bass guitar immediately start driving the rhythm forward with a bit more force than they really had to. And that vibe kind of carries into the chorus of the song as well. This killing time is killing me. So you have this unapologetic blues honky-tonk throwback with a hint of more aggressive 80s rock and roll that seems to hit the sweet spot just right. All right, we're like 10 minutes into this episode and we're still in the intro, but in my defense, this isn't just the intro. It's the turnaround and outro too. As such, it shows up three times in the song. Here are the two we haven't heard yet. Notice especially the rhythm section, that's the bass and the drums, on these instances. The 80s and 90s rock and roll feel gets stronger with each pass, but the song and lick by no means lose their honky-tonk rootsy flavor, thanks in part to those things we mentioned, the twingy Telecaster timbre and that slidey steel guitar.
We haven't gotten to Clint Black's perfect singing voice for this style of music yet, but we will. Oh, we will. We have to. But let's stay on this signature lead guitar lick a bit longer. I mentioned the notes were hard to pick out, at least to me. So let me help any of you out who may be in the same boat. Here are the notes of Killin' Time's signature lick, with this disclaimer. I'm completely sure about the notes that form the initial upward run. Pretty sure, but a little less so, about the first little mini lick going down. And I'm pretty unsure about the last little bit at the bottom of the register. But at any rate, here's what I'm hearing for what it's worth. Okay, that's C, D, F, G, B flat, C. That's a pretty crazy set of notes, especially in this key and on top of these chords, because that C at the top of this run is over an F major chord, or maybe an F with an open fifth, but an F at any rate, which is odd for this key. Killing Time is in the traditional acoustic guitar friendly key of G. But you wouldn't know it from that opening lick. So to start off on an F chord, especially led into by those notes, is certainly an attention grabber already. And layer that with some of the sonic texture we just talked about, and you're getting a feel for why this song's intro is so instantly recognizable and signaled such a sea change in country music. Then, as the run works back down, that first little sublick is, I'm pretty sure, B flat C D B flat G. That's a very G bluesy pattern, getting down to a C chord, so it's not quite resolved yet. And then at the bottom of the run, this lick that resolves finally to the G major, it's, I think, but don't quote me on this one, it's just hard to hear, trust but verify, folks. It's the similar but not identical pattern as before, just to knock it down. It's D, this time D instead of B flat, I think. D, C, D, B flat, G. So put that all together. It's C, D, F, G, B flat, C. B flat, C, D, B flat, G. D, C, D, B flat, G. And if you've listened to Nashville anthems much at all, you won't need me to convince you how bluesy those notes are in this key. The most important note that appears not less than four times in this pattern, and always before the final chord of each little mini pattern, is B flat. The minor third in the key of G, the bluest of the blue notes, and the key note, not just of this signature lick in Killing Time, but of the song as a whole. It's this pattern of B flat resolving down to G that comes up just over and over in this song. It comes up regularly on shorter lead guitar licks like this one that harken back to the longer lick in the intro. And it comes up in the vocal melody as well. What is all this killing time doing? Hear that? Killing me. Hear the weight that bluesy B flat gets as the melody resolves back down to G, just like on the guitar? It's a simple little pitch motif that the song just leans into with the thick honky-tonk instrumentation and Black's naturally gritty vocals. I mean, it just works. Everything fits together just right. The song has an effortless consistency 
that gives it a confident authority that manages to transcend even the song itself and symbolize what was going on in country music as a whole at the time. A stars aligning kind of moment. But we got to talk more about Clint Black's vocals. How have you managed to make it this far to the episode without really getting into his killer, killer vocals on this song? I have to stop here and harken back to our other Clint Black episode on Summer's Coming, where we talked about how, in my humble opinion, Black's naturally gritty, bluesy vocal timbre and delivery just didn't really fit with that song's bright tone. And maybe Killing Time had predisposed me to think that, because boy, is his voice perfect for Killing Time. It's not a coincidence, as I believe we talked about with Alan Jackson and with John Anderson. When you have a singer-songwriter, it stands to reason that you're going to get songs that fit the singer's voice really well. And at any rate, you certainly do here. So let's unpack that a bit. We've already established the sonic color that inhabits this song with so many of these signature minor thirds, especially in these prominent, harmonic-heavy, distorted, twangy Telecaster leads. And well, Clint Black's voice is, of course, no less colorful. Gritty is really the word for it, and it's best described by example. Listen to how he sings some of the lines in this song. When I thought I drank you off my mind Well, I just might find I'm killing time for eternity I've been lost yesterday This is the only price I'll pay Not if I cross Unlike Ronnie Dunn's soulful vocals that we talked about in Neon Moon. When the sun goes down on my side of town, that lonesome feeling comes to my door. But Dunn's didn't have the same earthiness that blacks have. There was something sublime about Ronnie Dunn's voice that has its own appeal. But here it's kind of, in a sense, the opposite. There's something down-to-earth about the way Black sings that grabs your attention and makes you want to keep listening. Fellow Texans George Jones and George Strait are clearly in this voice. But to be fair, those guys' voices were so influential on the era that we're looking at with this podcast that it's just kind of in the air that these songs breathe, at least the ones that were sung by men. And we've talked about this before. I believe in the Boot Scoot and Boogie episode how sometimes influence runs so deep that it's hard even to call it influence anymore. But on that note, the vocal forebear that to me most warrants highlighting here is... No, you think I'm going to say Hank Williams, don't you? And well, I should, because he's also in the air these songs are breathing. But, but no, I think the most instinctive influence here is that of none other than Bakersfield legend Merle Haggard. This again is best described by example, but listen to what I'm going to call the charismatic grit in Haggard's voice and think about how Black's vocals in Killing Time strike much the same chord. Hurting me now don't mean a thing Since love ain't here don't feel no pain My mind ain't nothing but a total blank The first thing I remember knowing was a lonesome whistle blowing and a youngin's dream of growing up to ride if we make it through december everything's gonna be all right i know if i did the things i ought to stay 
there's something earthy there, right? But it's more than that. It, is it working class? Yes, it is. We're in the honky-tonk territory we've talked about before of being comfortable in even celebrating one's working class situation and surroundings. But whereas at times we've heard that same sentiment with a kind of, uh, if you will, pathetic hint, a la Long Neck Bottle and Neon Moon, here there is much more cool confidence, charisma in other words, a charm that flows at least in part from the singer's independent spirit, his confident lack of apology in being down to earth. And you can see how perfectly that vocal style marries with everything else we've talked about in this song, right? But what message is it that Clint Black is delivering here? What's he talking about? And how does that fit into all this earthiness? Or does it? Well, spoiler alert, it does. <laughs> this song is about, I love the lyrics of the song, it's about malaise. It's about waiting while unsure what you're waiting for, when and if it will ever come, and what to do in the meantime. And how relatable and down-to-earth is that? Now, vaguely, loosely, Lost Love is in the mix. But the message of this song is more than a simple country cliché. Listen to how Black describes the futility of his efforts on that front. If I did the things I oughta, you still would not be mine. So, I keep a tight grip on the bottle, getting loose, and killing time. Pretty poignant, right? And relatable. This guy's not just drinking his blues away, he's coping with futility. In an unhealthy way, though, he may be, but a very relatable way. Sisyphus may be determined to keep rolling that stone up the hill, but the singer in this song is saying, you know what? Forget it. What is the point? And notice it's not, forget this, I got better things to do. This song is too honest for that. He doesn't have better things to do. He doesn't know what to do. So he's drinking and thinking, and it's tedious, and it's miserable. Actually, it's even existential. You can feel the singer getting a little drunker as the song gets downright morbid, not only with the killing time for eternity line, but listen especially to the end of the second verse. What does he say after stating that he's willing to pay the required price to end his sorrow? I'll be a happy man when I go, and I can't wait another day. How's that for an ironic silver lining? There's no happy ending here, folks. No light at the end of the tunnel. And I love the song for it. Welcome to real life on Earth, right? It's like this sometimes. In Killing Time, you have unapologetically gritty music sung by a naturally gritty voice that delivers about as unapologetically honest a take on a relatable human feeling as you'll ever hear. Welcome to the forefront, class of 1989. This won't be the last time we share very human experiences like this with you. I think we can count on that and look forward to it. But until then, it's time to find out what song we'll be killing time with on our next episode. To that end, I'm going to pull up Satellite Radio's 80s and 90s country station right now and see what's playing. All right, here we go. It's fellow early 90s honky-tonker Mark Chestnut and his hit, Bubba Shot the Jukebox. I look forward to getting to that one with you in two weeks. Until then, you can kill time by writing me at meltonmainerberry at gmail.com. Of course, you can find Nashville Anthems on Instagram or Facebook. Please don't forget to tell a friend about us. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye now. Goodbye now.